The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the verses 1 to 9. This comes right on the heels of the Ten Commandments. And you'll be able to find that on page 209 of your pew Bible. God has just laid out for his people the way that he desires for them to live. And we read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. Now, this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So far in the word of God. We'll now also be reading together from our confessions, from our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 27. And you'll be able to find that on page 541 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 26 dealt with the promise that comes with holy baptism. And Lord's Day 27 builds off of that, saying, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No. Only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all our sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the old covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant so far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for those of you who were here two weeks ago, you may remember how last time we were together, we looked at the promise. And we looked at the strong connection between the promise that is given in circumcision and in baptism. Abraham was circumcised, we read in Romans 4, verse 11, as a seal of the righteousness that he was given by faith. 
all who were newly converted followed the same step. When they believed, they received circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith. When they believed, it was an outward sign of what God had already done inside of them. Namely, he had circumcised their hearts. He had laid claim to them. They belonged to him. In a similar way, we find here this comment, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? Just as in the Old Testament, it was the it was not the sign of circumcision itself that was the cutting away of sin, but simply, simply a symbol of the work of God in their lives. So too, in a similar way, baptism is applied to those who convert and believe in Jesus Christ. They follow the same pattern that we see applied again and again to adults in the New Testament. The person believed and was baptized. He was given the sign of God's claim and promise. But it was the sign that pointed to the work of God. The work of God done by the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But even more than that, when God laid claim to the household, we were able to see how he also laid claim, when God laid claim to the person, he also laid claim to the household as a whole. And as we come to the New Testament, we see that again and again, he and his whole household were baptized. Today, we'll look at this in particular under the following theme and points, this concept, the children of the promise. And we'll see, first of all, their nature as set apart. Second, the washing that marks them. And third, entrusting our children to God. Children of the covenant are in a unique place. We already saw how God commanded Abraham to put the mark of the covenant on all of the people of his household, including children, those who are not able to show faith, despite the fact that this was a mark of the righteousness that comes by faith. This was not because somehow man's faith stands in for the child's faith, but it was because of God laying claim to the whole family of a believer. Now, this may seem strange to us because we live in such an individualistic culture. We live in a culture in which each man is an island. But we have to understand that this is unique in the world today and even unique in history. We get it a little bit when we think about family reputations, but we don't understand it to the same degree as the other cultures, that families quite often come in a unit. We don't understand how God interacts with the full family to the same degree. However, as we look at Scripture, we see this pattern laid out before us. We see God in Deuteronomy 6 referring to the children of the covenant as still being a part of his covenant and needing to be raised in that way. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. As we move ahead to the New Testament, this is something that doesn't change either. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, we get a bit of a glimpse of what this looks like. We read there that children are holy. Let's take a look at that together for a moment. 1 Corinthians 7, reading the verses 12 to 14. Keeping in mind how God worked already in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is speaking primarily about marriage here. And he carries on here. We'll move through verses 12 to 14 in particular though. To the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And to a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases but God has called us to peace. Now, at first glance, it might not seem clear how this is connected. But if you take a closer look, you can see the pieces beginning to fall into place. Obviously here, the context is marriage, but notice what is assumed by this discussion. It says, otherwise your children would be unclean, But now they are holy, verse 14. Outside of a covenantal view of the family, this passage is near impossible to explain, at least with any persuasive argument. But it's a covenantal view of the family. When God lays claim to one person in the family, this has an impact on the rest of the family. You can already see this previously, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. This is not to say that they are somehow made righteous, because we recognize that if somebody is unbelieving, they cannot be made righteous by somebody else's faith. But they are placed into a unique relationship here. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. The children, too, are placed into a unique relationship here. Holy, in this particular situation, is used to describe them being as set apart, kind of like the instruments used in worship in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and then later on in the temple, they were described as holy. They were set apart by God. In this same way, families, once a member of that family, a head of that family believes, the rest of that family falls into this same covenant relationship with God. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. God works with families. This has an impact 
on the way that God also deals with children. We already know in Canons of Door, chapter 117, if you're familiar with it, it says there that when children of the covenant die in their infancy, we can trust that they have a special place in the heart of God. To know what this looks like, however, we can go even further back. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, we see what happens to King David when his son dies. King David had a son with Bathsheba, as many of you may be familiar with, and this was a child that was actually the result of adultery between David and Bathsheba. But David repented, and he came before the Lord, and he poured out his heart before God. Afterwards, God had said, your child is going to die. These are part of the consequences of what happened to you or what what you did. David began to cry before the Lord, and he prayed. He prayed to such an extent that when his child died, his servants went to him, and they were worried about the fact that he might do harm to himself. But when he came from before the Lord, and he recognized that the child was dead, he washed his face, He cleaned himself up, and he walked back out. And they said to him, when your child was dying, you were so full of tears, but now your child has died, and you've cleaned yourself up, and you seem to be doing better. Why are you responding in this way? David's response is beautiful. He says, my child can no longer come to me. My child can no longer come to me. But 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, he says, I will go to him. There is only one way that David can say this with such confidence, and that's with an utmost trust in the covenant promises of God, that the promise was for him and for his children. I will go to him. Likewise, in the New Testament era, we can see that children are set apart, not due to his own faithfulness, but due to God's faithfulness and his claim on the children of his people. This brings us to our second point. Understanding this, however, doesn't mean that there is washing, that, that there is power in the washing itself, any more that there was power in circumcision itself. But there was washing, uh, there, there was power in the truth that the washing itself points to, just as we saw two weeks ago with what circumcision points to, God's work. No, it's not the outward washing with water itself that washes away sins. Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 72, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that cleanse us from all sins. It's based on the grace of God, that hesed love, that covenant love of God which washing points to. The blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. It's only in the blood and spirit of Christ that people of all ages 
can find this hope. And yet, sorry, this, this is in itself a rejection of the false teaching of covenantal automatism. This is a big word for you boys and girls in particular, but what it basically means here This claim, only the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ cleanse us from all our sins, is a reminder to us that it's not the action itself that has the power. You are not automatically okay because you are in the covenant and then free to live the way you yourself want to live. If you consider the other son of Abraham, Ishmael, If you consider the other son of Isaac, Esau, we can see how neither of them had circumcised hearts, had humble and repentant hearts, and so they left the Lord. And we read in Romans 2, verse 25, how their outward circumcision counts as uncircumcision. In Romans 2, verse 25 and 29, they're referring to all uh, New Testament Jews who had been circumcised, But it was a point that was referring to this truth, that outward circumcision itself counts as uncircumcision if one rejects the God who washes his people by the blood and spirit of Christ. Although our children have a special place in the heart of God, we should not assume that simply receiving the sign of the covenant means that we can have a hands-off approach to their spiritual lives after that. That is never the case. We know that now, and that's something that we know even from as early as the Old Testament as well. Now is the passage we read from Deuteronomy 6, the verses 5 to 7, that reminder, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Now notice what he says there. You shall love the Lord your God. He is the Lord, Yahweh, those capital letters. He is your covenant God, and that is the covenant name that he gives both to his people and to his children. He uses this name also in relation to his children because he is reminding his people that he cares about our children, that he desires to be a part of our family, but not just desires, he is a part of our family, laying claim to our family in his love. And now he wants us to and he calls us to teach our children about him and about his redemption and his love. In the Old Testament, this was pictured through leading, teaching them about him leading his people out of slavery and about all the ways that he called them to live. In the New Testament, this most importantly points to what that leading away from slavery points to. Jesus Christ who leads us out of slavery to sin. He wants us and calls us to teach them about the love of God, heart, soul, and mind. Fathers here especially have an important role as the spiritual heads of their household. There can also be times in which 
There are mothers who have to take the lead here. And this can be challenging. There can be different reasons for this. This can be challenging if you are taking on the lead for one reason or for another. But the beautiful thing that comes with this reminder is that you can still trust that God is with you, that he wants this for your children as you, he te- as you teach his children and that he will bless your desire and provide. But it does remind us that this is something that should be at the forefront of our minds and at the forefront of our hearts as we interact with our children. Fathers, we often talk about our desire for our children to succeed in life, and this is good and important. We often talk about our desire for our children to succeed in their job, in their marriage, and in their family, and this is good and important. And yet, is your child's spiritual walk the most important? When you mirror Christ's righteousness, and also his love and patience and forgiveness to you through the discipline of them, are they able to see that their spiritual walk is most important to you? When you walk through the world and you speak to them about the trees and the birds and everything that has been created by God, are they able to see what is most important to you? When you do mealtime devotions, talking about God and his word, are they able to see that their spiritual walk is important to you? When you perhaps speak in the evening with them about the history of God's people, his faithfulness inside and outside the Bible, and even in your own life, when you put them to bed and you pray with them, If someone was to come to your children and to ask them what was the most important thing that their parents had for them, the greatest desire that their parents had for them, would they be able to say that it is to see and to know God, to love God, to see them in heaven? This is important to God himself. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, he calls us, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so it should be most important to us as well. Covenant living means that we should be all the more passionate about such things. Not just becoming relaxed because we think we're good automatically, but to seek more eagerly the forgiveness that Jesus grants and to direct the hearts of our children more eagerly towards that. As we have in the baptism form and as you three here also experienced when you were baptized, there was the reminder early on, as soon as they are able to understand, to be taught these things. We should be eager to grow more and more alongside of them as they grow, always pointing to Jesus and the cleansing in his blood. And this brings us to our third point. In question and answer 74 here, we read that reminder that infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Parents, for 
you whose children have, by God's grace, listened and feared the Lord. Praise the Lord for this. For all of your work and parenting, we are reminded again in Psalm 127, verse 1, that unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. We are reminded there that we fail if we try our parenting alone. But always to remain in prayer over them, lifting them up before the God whose mark is on them. For you children who do respond in faith, if you have not necessarily professed your faith yet, but you are responding in faith, continue to look where your mark points. God wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure you by this picture, this pledge, this sign, that you are truly cleansed from your sins spiritually as you are bodily washed with water. This is true for you who respond in faith. But when children go astray, it is hard. You are not alone. Saints throughout history have spoken in the same way. It was unimaginably hard for Abraham who cried out in Genesis 17, verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. To know that God was going to pass on the covenant through his second son. It was unimaginably hard for Isaac and when Esau went astray after foreign women. It was unimaginably hard for saints throughout the history of God's people. And it's unimaginably hard for saints who are sitting in the pew beside you. There can be times when you feel like you have done everything you can and you feel weary. But it's not just that you are not alone that you can be reminded of today. More than that, you can be reminded of the fact that God understands your pain. Consider what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. Children that children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Isaiah 1 verse 2. Isaiah goes on to write, They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Isaiah 1 verse 4. And he says, I am weary. Isaiah 1 verse 14. God knows what it is to pour out love into your children, whom you do love so deeply. How does he respond to these wandering children? He does not give up on them. Rather, he gives them the gospel. In our reading, or in, in, the, in the first chapter of Isaiah, he points to the forgiveness that comes from Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 1 verse 18, he reminds his people, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And this is something that we 
should remember as well as we struggle. Struggling with those questions of, did I do enough? For some, not knowing what you could have done differently. For others, perhaps feeling the guilt of failures. Bring your guilt and your burdens to Christ first and find peace and forgiveness with him. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Turn your children over to God. Pray fervently for them. When they struggle, because of the mark of baptism, you can remind them that God is still there for them, that they are not hopelessly lost, that he has promised that for those who repent and turn to him, the gospel is there for them. This is what their baptism points to. Seek comfort as well from fellow believers, those in the same position. Pray for each other and let the communion of saints lift each other up in prayer. Ask for God to work in their hearts and turn your children over to God's hands. There are many who after Many years have still been able to experience the grace of God as he took hold of the heart of their wandering child. And as they repented, and as they turned to the Lord again, they were able to see that it wasn't just as Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 called, that call to circumcise your hearts therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. But ultimately, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord will circumcise your hearts. The Lord laid hold of them. In the words of the old hymn, they're able to confess, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I who found, O Savior, true, but I was found by thee. I find, I walk, I love, but O the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul, always thou lovest me. And so, loved ones, let us commit ourselves to our covenant God. Let us continue to pray for those who wander and lift them up before. Let us encourage each other in the faith and encourage our children to grow that first and foremost, we as a community could love the Lord our God with all our hearts and with all our soul and with all our mind. Amen.